0: All right, please do turn in the text. We are continue our study of Matthew, and we are in chapter 5. And if you're using a pew Bible, please do have a Bible open. Uh, if you're using the pew Bible, I believe on page 809 you'll find the text, Matthew 5. We're going to look at what is uh, the beginning of the longest sermon recorded in all of the gospel. Uh, we'll only cover a, a brief section, and you'll think it's even briefer than it should be because there's so much to unpack even in these opening 12 verses. This is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, where Jesus is in the region of Galilee and he is uh, teaching. We've already discovered that he, in the previous chapter, in Matthew 4, because that's how we look at God's word, is uh, as the writer intended it in its context, as it unfolds. And what we just discovered is Jesus called disciples to himself. Uh, he is called particular disciples. Uh, these were these were fishermen. Not all of them, uh, but some of them we saw last week. And uh, Jesus continues uh, to carry out in his public ministry after he was, uh, you know, uh, after he endured this, the the suffering and the temptation in the in the wilderness. He is, uh, you know, he's been baptized. He's beginning his public ministry, and that is an intermix, an interplay between ministry of word and also of deed. He's ministering, preaching, and proclaiming the good news, but he's also illustrating the kingdom that is to come because he is, uh, he is delivering people from the dominion of darkness. He's healing people. He is feeding people. Uh, even the last few verses of chapter 4, uh, we see these demonstrations of great power that Jesus had in, in healing people like the paralytics and others who had diseases and afflictions, and uh, it's a beautiful testimony of his mercy and his might. Jesus wanted to heal people, uh, but if that's all Jesus wanted to do, well then you'd say his mission was failed because some of those people who were healed or even raised from the dead, uh, they went on to die and maybe even get other illnesses. Uh, if, if Jesus' intent was to feed everyone, uh, then there were a few people that were lacking as, and, and to this very day. Uh, we know that that's not the, the primary focus, but it does illustrate part of his power and part of his his care and his virtues. He is one who heals it and he is one who delivers but even more so ultimately and spiritually naturally when you're performing miracles like this you know you draw a crowd uh, there are people that wanted their 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 sick children to be healed there are people who were hungry and there were then the others who were just curious and then even the religious of the day who were also for for various reasons sometimes very much opposed to Jesus not everybody came to follow and listen and to see you know to, to sit at his feet for the same reasons or even good reasons all the time. But it comes to, over time in delight. Who are the true disciples? There's a, a narrower, a narrower uh, group that he has selected. And then there's others that indeed have had their hearts changed. They've been touched uh, by the person and work of Jesus. I'm only going to barely scratch the surface. Uh, these are referred to as the Beatitudes. As some of you may have uh, you know, study studied this before. Some of you may have memorized this very familiar passage. This is just the, the very uh, uh, opening, and there's, there's a closer examination to be given to each of these uh, these eight different beatitudes, we call them. Their beatitude is a word, uh, a saying, uh, a proverb, a blessing. Uh, essentially, these are a list of things that uh, characterize those who are adopted children of God. Who have been brought into uh, his kingdom. And the way that you're brought into his kingdom is to surrender to the, to the king. And you have no kingdom unless there is a king who is reigning and ruling. And, uh, and Jesus is doing that. But you're like, this is kind of an upside down kingdom. I mean, I, you know, most kingdoms there's mo- much more power and, 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 and wealth and prestige and, and exertion and force. And, uh, you know, there's, there's the praise of men. And this doesn't seem like that kind of kingdom. Well, it, it, not for now. Uh, at this stage, uh, Jesus knows that there's suffering before glory, and he invites us into it. We call them the Beatitudes. This is what it means to, to be living, if you will. Now, I'll, I'll be covering part of it next week as well. So you'll see even there the title of the sermon is, you know, Our Purpose in the World, Part One. And uh, there could be many, many parts to it. And I'll, I'll try to do kind of an overview, so to speak, purposefully today. But this is part of what it means to live On purpose, intentionality, to have a purpose, to see that uh, my life is not governed and dictated. My ambitions are not just about uh, my feelings or my interests or my emotions or what the world says is beautiful or successful. Uh, That that could be something totally altogether uh, a shallow ambition. What is your purpose uh, in life? And, and uh, I, look, I look around this room and some of you are like, it's, it's to clean gutters and to change diapers and to, you know, you, you feel like it's, it's, very, uh, it's very small and, and, you know, commonplace. The things that we do, I don't know, but what's the grand purpose wherever God has placed you or called you or the responsibilities and duties He's placed in your life? This is a picture of what it means to be transformed by Jesus, to be like Jesus. Would you stand as we read? Hear this. This is the word of God. Verse 1, seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, that is Jesus. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. You may be seated, but let's ask his blessing. Lord, we do um, need your help. So would you please uh, send your spirit that would bring uh, light and illumination to your word that we might apply it. Would you please bring both comfort and conviction? Would you convict us, uh, give us humility and hope? Would you, uh, would you give us a greater clarity when we look at ourselves in light of this passage? Would you, would you give us greater courage and comfort when we look to the person of Jesus Christ? It's in his name and for his sake, ultimately, that we pray. Amen. We read a passage like this. I, I don't know about you, but do you find uh, this or when you've heard the Beatitudes, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount Red, and you think, whew, that's a little bit intimidating. Uh, that's a little bit overwhelming. Uh, what does it mean to follow? Je- well, this is, uh, this is not one of my, you know, this is not a go-to. Uh, I remember a number of years ago, a young man in our congregation here at Grace. Um, he was in middle school. His name's Ben Dowd, and, uh, and he, is, he has since moved. But Ben, I remember, was dealing with somewhere around middle school some anxiety. He was also, I think, truly struggling by faith to say, what is the cost of discipleship? What does it mean for me to look forward in life and say, I will be a follower of Jesus? And he was struggling with a particular anxiety that he was going to have to be a missionary. And he looked at me and we sat down and had a wonderful visit together Uh, He was at that at that stage. Some of you know him. He's very, very tall now, but he was still shorter than me, I think. And I looked at him in the eyes and I said, you know, Ben, uh, God might call you to be a missionary, but it won't be all bad. I just want to be a carpenter, a builder like my dad. I mean, I want to follow Jesus, but I just want to be a a builder and have a, a, a normal life. I said, well, there's no guarantee to anyone anywhere of a normal life, but I can assure you that God is not going to make you a missionary kicking and screaming. He will place desires in your heart. He will use your gifts wherever he does call you. Uh, I know it's overwhelming at times to think. I told him that if God calls you to do something, he will give you both the character and the competency to do it. And it's hard for you to believe that right now as a young man. He'll even give you the desires to do something at times, not always, what he's called you and shaped you to do. Well, now Ben is, is uh, graduated from college. He's, he's working as a nurse, and uh, he met a beautiful girl in nursing school, and they're, they're married now. I, I had a privilege to, to marry them two years ago. And just last month, uh, he became a dad. And, uh, and he's living for Jesus, and he is, he is invested in the kingdom and sharing the, the hope of the gospel with people all around him. It's a beautiful way. He is serving faithfully. I'm grateful. I want my kids to grow up to be like Ben Dow. I'm not going to lie. Who do you want to be like when you grow up? Some of you are saying, I'm already grown up, for crying out loud. I'm just... I just want to be happy. I, I just want to be happy, like those people who seem happy in the world, or at least on my social media feed. If you're a follower of Christ, there may be a part of you, if you're really honest, that is somewhat like you know. You have this 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 suspicion, this this curiosity. What am I going to have to be like Jesus? You know, I I don't know. I, I It just, that's impossible anyway, right? What's the point? I mean, if I become more like Jesus in life, then I might be rejected. I might have to love difficult people and forgive people who hurt me. Well, that doesn't seem very desirable. I might have to give my money to people who need it, I might have to love strange people. And if I love Jesus, then I might not have a boat. I mean, Jesus didn't have a boat. I mean, he rode in boats, and Jesus didn't need to fish. But I like fishing. Sounds like a challenging life. Jesus looks at you and me and says, I have a purpose for your life. I want you to be my disciple in the world. Living that out in the world. Which has as much to do with being as it does doing. Does that make sense? That there is a being that we are called to, that we have been brought to, that we have been transformed into. If you are here today, follower of Christ, it's about being and from that doing. It has more to do with character and what's going on in our heart than it does have to do with the exterior of my conduct and my behavior, what people see. If we want to be fully human, it means that we are to be adopted as a child. To be fully human and to be a follower of Christ means that we are adopted as a child into a family and we serve kingdom purposes. And if what you saw here sounds intimidating, I know it is indeed altogether upside down as it compares in reference to the world that we so often live and walk in. It's upside down. People don't understand People already in your life, if you were a follower of Christ, think you're a little bit crazy because you talk to someone that you can't see. Just staying, I mean, just stating the obvious. And no one would say, well, you know, that's crazy that you pray for things like uh, a good day and thanks for a good day and make sure that you protect me and provide for me and give me prosperity and direct me. Okay, it's strange that you talk to someone that you can't see, but I understand asking for that. But hey, why don't we just change it all up, right? Why don't we let some of our prayer get informed by the very things that Jesus talks about and commends in Scripture? Like a list like this. When was the last time that we prayed? is a way of application. Lord, make me more merciful, poor, meek. When, when was the last time you prayed, more? Lord, make me more like Jesus? It's my hope that I can persuade you from God's word that this is a vision for the characteristics that you want in your life and it's worth it. Okay? That, that's my hope from God's word to persuade you to see this. And some of the questions that I want to answer Uh, want to try to answer in part, at least, listed there in the order of service, are these. What? Who? And why? What, What is this blessed life, right? This state of blessing. The second question is, who will experience this state? And then the last is, why? Why are these people blessed? I won't go exactly, well, maybe I will, in order. What is this word anyway? Uh, blessed or blessed it can be translated it can be it can be translated from its original language to ours as happy this is the happy life but that seems a little bit I don't know I don't, it just seems a little bit shallow and oxymoronic because what did we just read verse 4 if it was translated happy then he would say verse 4 happier those who mourn well that just doesn't seem to go together At all. They shall be comforted. Well, why would you need to be comforted if you were already happy? So it must mean something deeper than. I'm not saying it's devoid of emotion, but it has to be something that is, in fact, deeper than emotion and fuller. This blessed state is something fuller than circumstances, in a keyword study Bible, there is this helpful definition. The Greek word translated "blessed" in the passage is "makoriori," which means to be fully satisfied. It refers to those blessings. Excuse me. It refers to those receiving God's favor, regardless of circumstances. But can I just have both? Yeah, I want both. I. I mean, I really resonate with that whole saying, cake and eat it too. And why can't we just pull that out of the New Testament and all of my desires here? I want pleasant circumstances and a pure character. Is that too much to ask? Well, it's not like God isn't unwilling to give some of those things and we should see them as mercies. But you can't have those two things in competition. You're hanging, clinging, craving, craving wanting the pleasant circumstances and fighting and resisting anything that reshapes and refines our character. A woman named Vanitha Reisner, she's offered some books on suffering. She wrote an article. I read this a number of years ago. She wrote it like six or seven years ago for Desiring God Ministries. And in this article, uh, she talks about Uh, you know, what does it mean to be blessed? She writes, feeling blessed is, uh, well, it's in vogue, right? I think we would agree with this. I mean, just a quick look at Facebook and Twitter, she writes, shows how many people today feel what? Hashtag blessed. In our social media world, saying you're blessed can be, can be, okay, I'm not calling anybody out. I honestly, when I say these comments, have no one in our congregation in mind. I may have some other Christians outside of our congregation, but just bear with me. Just a quick look. Some of you are saying, quote, hashtag blessed, she writes, it's a way of boasting while trying to sound humble. College scholarship, hashtag blessed. (laughs) Big promotion, hashtag blessed. Wonderful family, hashtag blessed. I think you get it. As Christians, we should use the term blessed. I'm not denying that. And of course, I'm not saying it doesn't have anything to do with our circumstances or our prosperity. We can, indeed should, attribute. We pray God will bless our family. We attribute the undeserved uh, gifts of life as blessings from God. So don't get me wrong. Receiving and enjoying gifts from God, even material blessings, are not all bad. But what if there is more to being blessed? Substantially more. Hard to believe. Many would find that. And what if all these hashtag blessings tempted us to turn in on ourselves? What if what, if what we crave as a blessing might make us feel self-sufficient and proud? Maybe even a bit smug or self-righteous. After all, look at all my hard work that's yielding all this wonderful fruit. It's mine. Plus, what if a person doesn't feel their need for deliverance or satisfaction when they look and feel as if they've already attained it? They're self-satisfied. I don't need to trust God. I can trust me. Reisner goes on to write this. And I found this very I just, I, this is very insightful. Earthly blessings, she writes, are temporary. They can be taken away. Job's blessings all disappeared in one fateful day. I too, she writes, had a comfortable life that was stripped away within a span of weeks. My marriage dissolved, my children rebelled. My health spiraled downward. My family fell apart. My dreams were shattered. And yet, in the midst, in the midst of those painful events, I experienced God's richest blessings. A stronger faith than I had experienced before. A deeper love than I had ever known. A more intimate walk than I could explain. My trials grounded my faith in ways that prosperity And abundance never could. Is that possible? Some of you know it is because you've endured valleys and trials and and disappointments and hurt and what what no one would describe as hashtag blessed. And yet you are. And you know what I'm talking about. Here is something to consider about that blessed state that people so desire, even Christians. In the New Testament, there are over 110 references to that word, some variation of that word, blessing, blessed. Get this. If you were to go look it up for yourself with a concordance, in the New Testament, that word, there's not a single instance when that is linked and associated to material blessing. Blessing is mentioned, none of them connects with material prosperity. Consider the passages where it does say blessed. Blessed rather, well, we just read most of them that we're familiar with. What about the ones that we don't want to be familiar with sometimes? Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it, Luke 11, Jesus says. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, Romans 4. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, James 1. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 14 and 19. Not even a hint of material blessing or pleasant circumstances in any of those New Testament references. Typically, blessing is connected with either poverty, trial, or it has to do with the spiritual blessings that we have because we're united to Christ. I almost feel like just pausing right now and saying, God, would you please change my and our desires? Lord, hear me when I say this. Give us new desires for things that you desire. So who's going to experience this blessed state? Well, it's those who have unmet desires that are crying out, To God most. Desires that only. That we would have a change of desires. That only God could ultimately fulfill. The person who experiences the blessings. Some of them present. As we read here. But most of them future. Is it it enough that it's future? Is it enough that we can say by faith. I know. That I may lose substantially. But I have a gain. I have an inheritance. I have something that. That that nothing can destroy or steal away from me. Jesus says in verse 3, He explains who it is that experiences these blessings. It's the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who sense their need for the mercy and the forgiveness of God. Those who know that spiritually... In comparison to a holy God, all of us to a person is bankrupt. Don't make, don't make Joe loser down the street, the reference point for your life. It's the holy God. And we know, we know that compared to him, we are spiritually bankrupt. The people who are poor in spirit are humble and they're not defensive about it. Then looking further, who else is in this blessed state? It's those who mourn. By this, he means those who, who weep and grieve over legitimate things. This isn't moaning. This isn't moping. This is mourning. Those who are humble enough to have sorrow over their sin. Those who grieve daily and, 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 and acknowledge that I'm, I need forgiveness. I have not loved God with my whole self. I have not loved my neighbor as myself and I'm not okay with that. Forgive me, Lord. And look at these. I mean, look at the whole list here. These are not personality traits, right? These are not your interest. We can easily be confused. I mean, just, just take, for instance, the whole reference to, to meekness in verse five, right? We sometimes think meek people are the the quiet, shy, introverted, weak people. This isn't talking about a disposition. A person who is meek could be introverted, sure, but they could also be an ambitious CEO of a company. They're the type of person who in their heart cares for others and is not easily offended, regardless of their disposition, this is not, when you look at this list, I, I'm looking big picture instead of trying to, as you can tell, you know, pull apart each one of these. Maybe I will some other time. But right now, just look at this. This is not a list of, of, of virtues that we're trying to acquire these skills. This isn't about personality and disposition. This is, th- these, are, these are about mostly being and not doing. I think you're getting the picture, which is a good segue, right? I gave you a picture. There's a diagram. Pick it up, if you will. Hopefully, everyone got a copy. And there's a diagram, and I, I, I owe this to uh, Dan Doriani, who's a, a New Testament scholar, and he wrote a commentary. As you'll see at the bottom, you'll see the list there. There's, there's the, the, the subdivision of those Beatitudes, But at the very bottom, I include this quote. Grace also holds the Beatitudes. I want us to have a visual of how this is connected. The the, the phrase there, the the quote is, Grace also, Doriani says, holds the Beatitudes together. The first three describe a disciple's knowledge of his spiritual need. The fourth, that's the, the the center of the diagram, the fourth states God's promise to meet that need. The fifth through the seventh describe the results of the fourth beatitude. Does that make sense? What is at the center? The center, verse 6. Well, let's read it again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be, present tense, satisfied. Well, I, I want that. But here's the problem. We're not really acquainted with hunger and thirst. (laughs) In so many ways, because of where we live. I mean, we we need to survive the hashtag blessings so that we can be hungry and thirsty for some of these things. The promise is that we would be satisfied. And then from there, as you see those arrows move out, we will be marked with things like Mercy and peacemaking. If if someone is full, they may or they may not be satisfied, but they're definitely not hungry. Think about that for a moment. Why does food taste better when you're camping? Why Why does food taste better after you've exerted yourself? Great, you know, like you made it through a whole day and you hardly even thought about food because you're just so busy working and you get to the end and you're just spent and you want it. You crave food and drink. Yesterday, uh, Luke and Ben, we decided to do a a, a winter ascent to the top of Mount Washington. And we made it. It was snowing, well, up until 4,000 feet. And then above that, All the way to the top 6,000 foot. It was blue skies. Gorgeous. I didn't post any pictures on Facebook. But if I had, it would have been hashtag blessed. You know what I'm saying? It was great. And look at me. I knew we were going to, you know, yesterday morning, early morning, rising. We went to the lodge where they had some breakfast, and I knew I was going to be burning a lot of calories, so I was just pounding down breakfast, and I was full. But, I don't know, about a thousand feet up that climb, I was not satisfied because I was burping, you know, French toast and bacon so bad, I, you know, I was a little bit uncomfortable, I'm just going to say. But I got all the way to the top and all the way to the bottom, and we'd gone through our snacks and, you know, the Nalgene bottle of, of water and uh, and right near the end I mean twenty seven you know twenty whatever thousand steps in I'm hungry and I'm thirsty and those little bits of of you know snow that I picked up wasn't working anymore and I had just about this much what I thought the night before was kind of a, a weird tasting well water that I had filled up at the lodge that tasted amazing because I was what? I was thirsty Now, the analogy, it always breaks down. I'm not trying to say that Jesus is like three ounces of lame, you know, bad-tasting water, but just get thirsty and you'll appreciate it for what it's worth. Folks, living with and for Jesus is so much greater. And you can't get there and you can't know it and you can't experience it unless you're hungry and thirsty. Look at the diagram. It's through knowing and acknowledging. As you see, I put a little arrow, a little, uh, you know, a little um, pointer going down through the first three and into the center, which is that hunger and thirst, that deep hunger and thirst. It's acknowledging and knowing that our need is so great that we are hungry and satisfied. Those who've experienced repentance and faith are the ones who know the blessed life. A full person will be emptied. And an empty person will be filled. But who wants to acknowledge that? Who wants to believe that? Who wants to yield yourself with hands open, knees bowed? Acknowledge it. Well, last, why Why are they blessed? Well, because they, they were hungry. They were thirsty for righteousness. Folks, I don't know how else to say this. I'm sure you'll, you'll see it for what it's worth. We live in a culture that does not embrace these things. We don't pray for things like humility or purity or mercy or peacemaking. Right? We are a, we're, if anything, we are an image-based culture altogether. Who cares about my inward being we need an outward doing, an identity, an identity that is surrounds the most important thing the most important thing is, what? What I like? What are, what's my lifestyle? What are my choices? What are my preferences? What's my enneagram? What's fill- in the blank? I don't know. What are my interests? And then, what? not only what am I? Uh, like, but what do I look like on the outside? Am I successful? Am I strong? Is my life enviable or desirable to others who may look in on it? We are full. We're full. Our schedules are full. Our passions are full. Our minds are full. Our entertainment is full. We are full. Folks, I don't know how to say this. It's okay to be hungry. Even, even with food. I had breakfast this past week. A guy told me he goes to another church. He says, uh, I'm, I'm praying for my children. My wife and I, they already, they're already out of the house, but they don't know Jesus, and we pray for them. and We, we, we fast every Monday night just to focus our prayer more. It's okay to be hungry what is the righteousness that we would be craving that's mentioned here in verse 6 that we'd be thirsty for? It's the righteousness that pertains to so many aspects of the the kingdom and the working of Jesus. Righteousness that pertains to our growth and grace and sanctification that we want it for ourselves in the way that we live. It's a righteousness that we crave that is belonging to Christ which is given to us We're justified and counted righteous before a holy God because of Jesus' perfect life, not because of us tipping the scales against all of the negative. Oh, I'll I'll rebuild my poverty. This is a poverty that only Jesus can fill, cover, and fulfill and free us from. We crave Jesus, He being the perfect picture of all of this. We thirst and hunger for a righteousness that impacts and preserves a society. We, we have social and, and communal actions outwardly because we envision the glory of God and the good of other people. Partly because we're looking to a future where the final righteousness will be there. We're hungering for a day when Jesus would return and make all things right and all things new. That means we're pilgrims. We're not just accumulators and consumers. We're a people in our very being who hunger for something this world can't even bring us. And even if we had it to the hilt, and most of us do, relatively speaking, we're longing for another place. Simply put, we're longing For Jesus, He has purchased with His own blood everything that we need for this blessed state, and it is our privilege. But if you notice, if you look over these Beatitudes, at different points, in different ways, Jesus identifies with all of these. We see that Jesus attributes to Himself even these characteristics like meekness, mercy, and purity. So all of them, all of them. Especially though, verse 10 through 11, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those when, they, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you. He was persecuted. Jesus identifies with that so much so that he is willing to die a shameful painful death on a cross for you and for me. But don't miss this either. Of all of these beatitudes, there is one that Jesus does not and cannot identify with, and that is, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know why? Not because Jesus didn't have spiritual needs, and not that he wasn't dependent upon the Father to execute a spiritual ministry. But he is not bankrupt. He is not struggling, impoverished. He is morally perfect. He was free from all sin and unrighteousness. Once more, uh, Dan Duriani, Jesus was not poor in spirit in the ways that we are. This reminds us of an important point. I'm about to close. We can progress toward Jesus, but a gap still remains. It always remains between the Creator and the creatures. But Jesus does not share the gap with us. He bridges that gap. Jesus reaches out to the poor in spirit to teach and to heal them. To teach and to heal us. The Apostle Paul um, goes on, as we can discover later in the New Testament... To say that we should aspire to be like Jesus. That for us, purpose in life, meaning, value, fulfillment, fullness, maturity. What would it mean? You could be a mature person at a variety of ages. And you could be an immature person at a variety of ages. But a mature disciple of Christ... Paul says and spells out in Ephesians 4 that we would be reaching the fullness of Christ. We are people who are imitating Him with the help of His grace and strengthened by the resurrection power to become more like Jesus. I'm telling you, this is a high and good purpose. It's not overwhelming. He's the one working. We're yielding and participating. This is life-giving, this being our purpose. I hope you can see it, that it's wise and it's well for us to pray. Father, God the Father, please make me more like God the Son. I'm persuaded, Lord, that this is the blessed life by faith. Let's ask for faith. Father, we do pray that you would grant us faith that we might embrace and and understand in new and deep ways uh, our purpose. It is better for us to be uh, humble and needy and hungry and thirsty. And we won't be. We won't be satisfied unless we're hungry. So would you grant to us that? Give us new desires, please. We have every reason to serve you as our Father, we have every reason to imitate our Savior. We, we don't do it. And we're sorry. We know that you're slowly making us more and more into the image that you desire. Whatever our strengths may be, Lord, we are poor and needy for your grace today and forever. Would you please come back and make the fullness of the consummation of your kingdom visible? Would you clean our hearts and minds at times they're just, they're, they're cluttered, they're confused. Would you help us to walk even this week by faith with love in our hearts? Even as we were reminded last week as fishers of men, people not ashamed of the gospel. Help us to be humble and meek because we spent time with Jesus. Lord, there's others that desire true blessing, which part of that is our health and our strength. And we pray especially for our sister Dottie she awaits a heart surgery, and even today's in the hospital. Comfort her. Shower your mercy on her. And there's others. Lord, in a multitude of areas: emotionally, mentally, there's anguish, depression, anxiety. There's people that they're struggling for health with their family and their, their finances. Lord, I pray that you would guard each and every one of us. You would guide us in ways that only uniquely you can because you're a heavenly father and a good and faithful shepherd. We pray even now in his name, Jesus, who taught his disciples to pray together, saying, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come.